bow our heads for a word of prayer before we start this morning. Lord, we just thank you so much for the words of that song, that this is amazing grace that we live in, that you would die for us. It's incredible. Lord, I pray that today you would remind us of your amazing grace in our lives. You would remind us of what you've done for us. Lord, help us never to take it for granted. But Lord, I pray today as we stop in the busyness of the week, as we put aside the distractions that have come before us this week, as we put aside the coldness of the weather today, and as we reflect and focus on you, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would change our hearts, that you would draw us back to you, that you would be our focus, our centre, our vision, our everything. Lord, you're incredible. Help us to be reminded of that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, week two, last week, if you missed the service, we talked about our vision here at Follow Baptist Church. And if you missed our vision, it's a really a very, very simple vision. In fact, it's one word. Our vision is Jesus. Uh, we look to him. He's the centre of all we do. He's the purpose. He's our joy. We heard last week, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He is our vision. And one of the wonderful things about having Jesus as our vision is that when we look to him, we're reminded about who we are as a result of what he's done. We're reminded as we look to Jesus that we are a group of people that in him have been forgiven. We are a group of people that have been set free from the power of sin and the power of death in and through a relationship with him. And so when we think about Jesus each and every day, when we stop and look at his word, when we reflect on who he is, we should have wow moments as we're reminded of his incredible grace, that he's forgiven us. We've done so much wrong and yet God has forgiven us unconditionally. He sent his son to die for us. And when we think of Jesus, his compassion, his mercy, the life he lived, the promises he's made, we should be just like, wow, he is incredible, incredible. On our wedding day, when Kim walked to the top of the aisle and she looked down the front, I'm pretty sure she had a wow moment when she saw me standing there. (laughs) In fact, the truth is, I think it was the exact opposite. In fact, we both had a wow moment. She went, wow, him, really? And I went, wow, her, really? She's incredible. This is a, you know, evidence that God exists. There's a miracle happening here that I would marry a woman that beautiful. And so I looked at her and I said, wow, that's my bride. But the amazing thing about scripture is that it describes us, the church, God's people, as the bride of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who we are in his eyes? That's right, you and me, sinners, broken people. I mean, I don't know about you, but he knows my heart. Sure, he knows yours. He knows our thoughts. He knows our insecurities. He knows the things we think about when we shouldn't think about those things. He sees our failures and yet he looks at us in and through a relationship with him and he goes, wow, that's my bride. They are the people that I have chosen to be in relationship with with. I just think that is absolutely incredible. How can that be? Well, it's got nothing to do with you and me and how good we've been or how bad we've been, but it's got everything to do with what he's done at the cross. Jesus on the cross died in our place and he took all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing upon himself. And so when we put our faith in him, everything we've done wrong now, in the past and in the future, is placed on Jesus and he says, it is finished. And so when Jesus looks at us now, he no longer sees people who are guilty. He sees people who are innocent. 
because our punishment has been paid. He doesn't see people who are dirty, he sees people who are pure. Rather than seeing a bunch of sinners, he sees a bunch of people who in his eyes are righteous and he looks at us and he goes, wow, that's my bride. Now, you might think it sounds too good to be true. Maybe you think that I'm making it up this morning, so I'm going to read to you from Scripture today as we reflect on our vision being Jesus. From Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, without any blemish, without any wrinkle, it's a relief for some of us, but holy and blameless. Is that stunning or what? That is what God sees when he looks at those that are in a relationship with his son. That's the glorious news of the gospel. So if you don't know Jesus here this morning, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Saviour, can I encourage you today to consider him? Can I encourage you today to seek him? Can I encourage you today to embrace him Because it's in him that we are forgiven. It's in him that we come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father and it's in him that we have the incredible hope of eternal life. That's why for us as a church, Follow Baptist Church, he must be our vision because it's only in him that we can be saved and made holy. And so day one, last week, we focused on Jesus, our vision. Today we're starting a new series and it's called, it's our first ever series here at Follow, And it's called From the Word Go. Now, a few weeks ago on Facebook, we put up a poll with a number of different names that perhaps this series could be called and we gave you guys the opportunity to vote on it. And so if you are sitting here today going, that's a dumb name for a series, uh, well, you've got yourselves to blame. Um, But I'm glad you chose this particular name because it was my favourite one. We had 253 votes and I voted 250 times. Um, That's not true, but we got my way anyway. So that's good, isn't it, how it works out like that? I think it's the Holy Spirit doing some stuff, which is great. But if I were to sum up this series in one sentence, I would say that this series is this, that as a people saved by Jesus, with him as our vision, we are called to be a people, a church on mission. You see, at the very heart of our faith, we've always been uh, designed by God to be people on mission. From the very first missionary, a guy called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, who was asked by God, called by God, to leave his country, leave his people, leave his father's household and go to a land that he would be shown. And God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. And so we see Abram and Israel, the nation, become this this group of people called and chosen by God to be on mission to be a blessing to the nations. And we read all of that all the way through to the Gospels and we see Jesus at the end of his public ministry on earth He says, now I am calling you as a people to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. There's the nations thing again. Baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I love that. God says, I've called you and I've chosen you and I'm sending you on mission, but I've got this promise for you that I will always be with you. It's incredibly encouraging, isn't it? that as we step out in faith, as we step out on mission, that God goes before us and God goes with us. We are called to be a people who go. And so from the word, go and make disciples. 
Now, some people think that spiritual maturity is knowing theology well. If I know my Bible, then I'm spiritually mature, and that's their, their view. And, and I want to say today from the very start that the Bible is incredible. This is God's Word. It's not just a history book. It's God's divine Word spoken to us. And I, I can guarantee you as you read this book and as you put it in your heart, it will change your life. It will convict you. It will challenge you. It will change you. And I can say that with confidence because it transformed mine. I love this book. It's incredibly important that this book is at the centre of everything we do. The Word of God is incredible. So take it everywhere with you. And, and for goodness sake, bring it to church with you. Because you want to check out what I'm saying. You want to make sure that I'm preaching what the Word teaches. And I want to tell you this morning, if you ever think that I'm not, you have my permission to side with the Word of God, not with me. Always side with God's Word, because it is the truth. And so, I want to sort of highlight and elevate God's Word as central to everything we do as a church. But many people see themselves as spiritually mature simply because they read this book. But I want to say this this morning. If your theology doesn't move from your head to your heart, to your feet, as you go and share the good news, it's an incomplete theology and it's an immature spirituality. Let me say that again. If your theology does not go from a bunch of head knowledge in your head to your heart, to your feet, as you go and share the good news, it's an incomplete theology and it's an immature spirituality. We have been called by God to be a people on mission. If your understanding of scripture doesn't help you to be a better neighbour, if it doesn't inspire you to be a greater witness to your friends, if it doesn't challenge you to share your faith more regularly and boldly, if it doesn't compel you to go, then there's a chance it's just head knowledge that will puff you up with pride, but it won't equip and empower you to be a person who's on mission. Follow Baptist Church while I'm here will always be a church that loves and values the Word of God. But I hope and pray that we'll also be a church that understands that we are people on a mission. You know, there are people in the officer region, whether it's Officer or Pakenham or Berwick or Beaconsfield or further out either direction, there are people around us that are heading for eternity as separated from God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's an incredible tragedy. But I think God has placed us here for a purpose. He's placed us here to make a difference, to be a blessing, to connect with people, to build relationship, ultimately to share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if we're reading the word regularly, but we're missing this truth that we're on mission, we need to go back to it again. And we need to say, God, would you humbly, would you humbly show us that we are called to make a difference. This morning you might notice balloons around, it's up on the sermon slide there and you'll notice them on, on either side of me and parents, you can uh, come and grab a balloon afterwards for the kids, they'll be down at the hub. But you might, might be wondering why on earth are there balloons everywhere? Well basically the balloons are going to be a visual image that represent this series. You see the idea being that if you were to go outside with a helium balloon and release it, it would go up into the sky and that balloon would go wherever the wind takes it. You'll never see a balloon up in the sky arguing with the wind, saying, the wind, I know you're going that way, but, but I want to go this way. And so I'm going to, you go that way, I'm going my way. No, no, a balloon doesn't do that. It goes wherever the wind takes it. It's not an option. It's not a choice. It goes where the wind carries it. And in the same way, you and I, as the people of God, need to go where the Spirit leads us in mission on our everyday lives. You see, it's not an accident that God's placed you in the street that you're in. 
It's no accident that you have the next door neighbours that you have. It's no accident that we're here in the officer region. It's no accident you're in the family you're in and the friendship circle you're in and the sporting club you're in and the motorcycle club you're in. God's placed you there and the purpose of you being there is to build relationship and to be a light in the midst of the darkness. This is the calling of God on our lives. This is our mission. And so today we're starting this series through the book of Acts. And today will really just be an introduction to the series. I'm only going to focus on the first three verses of chapter 1 as we kind of lay a foundation for the next uh, several weeks. As Ray pointed out before, you have a study guide that you were given on the way in today. It looks a little bit like this. Um, If you've read the book of Acts, you will know that it's an incredibly exciting book. Uh, You see the gospel spread under the power of the Holy Spirit. You see people's lives change as salvation comes to them. You see the kingdom of God extend. You see the miraculous happen. And it's such an encouraging book. And so if you've read it before, you'll know it. But if you haven't, in this study guide, there are passages that you can read each week that will get you through the book of Acts as we go through this series. Can I encourage you to read through the book because I believe that you'll be very encouraged by it. The book of Acts is an inspiring book and today I want to start by giving you a little bit of background about this incredible book. So first of all, I want to start by saying that Acts was written over a 30-year time frame. And I think that's really important to remember. I've talked to a lot of Christians who read the book of Acts like it was written over a 30-minute time frame. And they look at it and they go, wow, check out the miracles. There's miracles just happening. Popping like popcorn, breakfast, lunch, dinner, miracle, miracle, miracle. Why can't we have miracles like that? Or they look at the growth of the church and the maturing of the church and they go, wow, look at how they grew and look at how they matured. And they have this kind of idealistic sort of sentence. We've got to get back to what the book of Acts says. And it's so true, we do. We want to be a church who sees God do the miraculous in the lives of people. We want to be a church that grows numerically, spiritually. We want to expand geographically. We want to see God do incredible things in and through us as a church. But we need to remember that the book of Acts was written over 30 years. And if you take any 30-year period from the time Acts was written and you stack it up against what was happening in the time of Acts, you will probably find that God is doing just as much throughout every 30-year period and throughout history and right now as he was in the time of Acts. And so we need to keep that in mind as we read through this book. Acts was written over 30 years from the year around about AD um, 33 to around about AD 62. Now, who wrote the book of Acts? Well, we know um, that the book of Acts was written by a guy called Luke, which I happen to think is a pretty cool name. (laughs) I'm biased. We know that Luke uh, also was a doctor, which I also like, Dr. Luke. Feel free to call me Dr. Luke if you want. I don't have the paper to prove it. Please don't come and see me if you have any physical ailments. I'll pray. That's all I can do. I can't do anything else to help you. But this guy was a doctor. We know that from Colossians chapter 4 where Paul refers to him as my dear friend, Luke the doctor. We also know that he accompanied Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. And so this is a man that understood mission and he went with Paul. I don't know whether he went as a, in a doctor capacity or whether he just went to share the gospel, but he was with Paul on his missionary journeys. The other interesting thing we know about Luke is that Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke. And what makes that interesting is that Luke never actually met Jesus in the flesh when he was on earth. 
We know that, that Luke didn't meet him and so what he wrote in the Gospel of Luke was a result of a whole lot of eyewitness accounts that he got from people as he sat down and he asked questions and he heard their stories and he compared one to the other and as a result he wrote down the Gospel of Luke. Now we know this is true from the start of Luke's Gospel. Let me read to you today verses 1 through to 4. Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now at the start of Acts, in the verses that um, were read today, Pete, did you read the verses today? You didn't read the verses today. We didn't read the passage. I should do that before I start, shouldn't I? Um, Pete was meant to come read the Bible reading, but we missed that this morning. So let me read it to you this morning, the first three verses of Acts chapter 1. It says, The first account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after which after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so that's what it says in the first three verses. So you read there that, that he says in his former book, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven by the Holy Spirit. Now we know at the end of Luke's Gospel, we read about that in the last chapter. It says that Jesus, while he was blessing the people, let, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And so it would be easy to read through the Gospel of Luke and think, well, we read in that book everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And so we could read the gospel through it and say, okay, well, we read about Jesus' life from the time he was born all the way up to the time that he left planet Earth to go back to heaven. And we could go, okay, well, we know everything about Jesus from the gospels and now we can start by looking at Acts and the work of the apostles. But at the start, Luke says, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. He says the gospel of Luke is only what Jesus began to do. It's only what Jesus began to teach. And I think that's really interesting. And why does he say that? Well, he says that because Jesus is still doing. Jesus is still teaching. He's still transforming lives. He's doing it by his word. He's doing it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he's doing it through you. And he's doing it through me. I think it's interesting that early in Jesus' ministry, he said, I am the light of the world. It's an incredible claim. I'm the light of the world. But then in other parts of the gospel, he says, you are the light of the world. It's almost like there's a, a passing of the baton. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus says in John chapter 8, that whoever follows me, I like the word follow, he says, whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in the darkness. You see, Jesus, who is the light of the world, at the point of salvation when we accept him, he recreates us. The Bible tells us we're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He fills us with his spirit and he enables us to be light to the world around us, not because of anything in ourselves, but because we're now intimately connected with Jesus who is the light of the world. And so by his grace, we are a people who've been set apart. We're a people who've been chosen. We are people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, 
to be co-workers with God, to carry the glorious news of the gospel to the world around us and to be a blessing to all creation as we follow Jesus. This is our mission. I think Luke, when he wrote the Gospel of Luke and when he wrote the book of Acts, he actually saw it as a two-volume work. It's not like he wrote the Gospel of Luke and then he wrote Acts and they were just two completely separate things. I think in Luke's mind they were very much intertwined. In fact, I think that one actually flowed from the other. Last week we talked about Jesus being our vision. This week we're starting a series about being a people on mission and I think that's precisely what Luke did with these two volumes. In the Gospel of Luke, he paints a picture of Jesus. He says, this is who Jesus is. He's glorious. He's the Saviour. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Look at his life and see what he's done. And the result should be that we look at him and we're wowed. And we go, wow, Jesus is incredible. He's so incredible that I want to go now and tell the whole world about him. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. We see this vision of Jesus and in the book of Acts, they actually go and tell the rest of creation, all the nations, about Jesus and all that he's done. I think if Luke was to write a third volume, he'd probably start it like this. He'd probably say, in my last volume, the book of Acts, I wrote about all that Jesus continued to do and teach through the Acts of the Apostles. So in the first two verses of this passage today, we're reminded of why the gospel was written and then in verse 3 it helps us launch into what Acts will be all about, which is basically the extension of the kingdom of God. In verse 3 he said, after, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now today I'm not going to focus on the resurrection so much, And all the evidence that Jesus actually did rise from the dead because there is a stack of evidence and it's probably a series in and of itself. But all I'll say about it is this, that I think the most convincing evidence of the resurrection is that the apostles who witnessed it with their own eyes all were willing to die for their belief in the resurrection. And so it came a point where, where they were threatened, if you don't deny that Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to be killed. We'll, We'll crucify you. We'll hang you upside down. We'll saw you in half. We'll throw you into a pot of boiling oil. We'll do all that. But to avoid that, you just have to deny the resurrection. And every one of them said, you know what? You do what you have to do. But we saw it. We saw it. We believe it. We'll die for it. And they did. I just don't think you'll get more compelling evidence of the resurrection than that fact itself. So I'm not going to focus so much on that today. But I want to finish up today talking about the other part of the verse. And that is the kingdom of God. Jesus had 40 days left on the planet after his resurrection. And it says he spoke, what did he speak about? He didn't speak about Supercoach. He didn't speak about whatever. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And I want to finish talking about that today because I think it's one of my favourite topics in Scripture. And it's one of my favourite topics because I think it's one of Jesus' favourite topics. And I think as a church we probably don't talk about it enough. In Luke chapter 4 verse 43, Jesus himself said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, because that is why I was sent. And so the question becomes, what is the kingdom of God? We talk about it a lot, but do we understand what the kingdom of God actually is? If I was to give you a basic definition today, I would say this, that the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns and rules. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns and rules. And so when Jesus was here on earth, he announced that the kingdom of God was here. 
It had arrived. It was present. It was accessible to all people. But I think when we hear about the kingdom of God, we have two issues straight away. The first issue is this, that we don't connect with kingdom language anymore. The second issue is that it doesn't feel like we're surrounded by God's reign and rule when we watch the six o'clock news. The world's a mess. It's broken. There's evil all around us and it doesn't feel like God's reigning and ruling when we look at what's going on on planet Earth. And so how do we reconcile these things? Well, the first thing is the language. How do we reconcile our, our understanding of the language of kingdom? You see, we are part of a kingdom. We're part of a monarchy. Um, we don't really think about it much though, do we? How often have you thought about the Queen this week? Anyone? Thought about the Queen? We love the public holiday, don't we? It's awesome. We think about it when there's a public holiday, although I don't even know if we think about it then. But we're very thankful to her for the public holiday. But we're in a monarchy, but we don't think about it that way. We don't reflect on that very often. And I think when we hear the word kingdom, it actually conjures up a whole lot of other thoughts in our head. Some people, if you're like me, when you hear the word kingdom, you think of a castle with a moat, with a crocodile underneath it, and that's your idea of a kingdom. Uh, others of you will think of Princess Di or Prince Charles or, uh, you know, if you're younger, it might be Will and Kate. You've read about them in Woman's Day, so you think about that when you hear the word kingdom. For others, you think about massive epic battles like Braveheart and killing and swords and armour and, and all this sort of exciting stuff that you love watching in the movies. But the problem is that none of those things really help us to get an understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he's talking about the kingdom. In scripture, we even see that Jesus' disciples didn't connect with the language of a kingdom in the way that Jesus intended it. You see, all the disciples, they were waiting for uh, a Messiah. And in their minds, the Messiah would be a big, powerful, political, spiritual leader. And he was going to lead them, uh, their army, the Jewish people. And they were going to fight against Rome. And they were going to overthrow this big, bad power of Rome. And they were going to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so that's why when we read in the Gospels that the disciples were completely confused when Jesus talked about dying. They were like, hang on, you're, you're the guy we've been waiting for. You're going to lead us in this big army. We're going to become really powerful on earth. And what do you mean you're going to die? That, that can't happen. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom. I read a book a few years ago called The Secret Message of Jesus. And the author of that book, in his book, proposed a few words that perhaps Jesus would have used to describe kingdom if he was right here with us now. If he was introducing the kingdom for the first time, would he use the language of kingdom to us or would he use other words? And he proposed a few different words that perhaps Jesus could use. He talked about perhaps Jesus talking about the network of God or the family of God or the community of God. Would we connect with those terms uh, more readily than we would connect with the term kingdom? But there was one word that he, he mentioned that I really connected with. He said perhaps Jesus would call the kingdom of God the dream of God. Now, we connect with dream language, don't we? You might have had a dream last night. I know I did. I'm not going to share the contents of it right now. But I had a dream last night and maybe you did too. But if you didn't have a dream, you'll still connect with the language because people have a dream for their lives and, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a, had a dream. And, and I think it's true that God's got a dream for creation. And his dream is that all creation would be redeemed and restored to himself. And that dream has been fulfilled through the work of Christ at the cross. You see, sin is what destroys creation. It's what wrecks relationships. It's what tears us apart. Sin is literally a curse, but at the cross, Jesus reversed the curse of sin. 
and he paid the punishment for it, meaning that death and the power of sin have no power over us anymore. But the Bible also tells us that when Jesus returns at the second coming, we're going to see the, the kingdom in all its glory, in all its perfection. We're going to see it. That's our hope. That's our future. The, the theological word is the consummation of the kingdom. Or I'd like to say this morning, the fulfilment of God's dream in all of its perfection. And we read about it in Scripture. Revelation 21 is perhaps one of the most inspiring passages in the whole Word of God because it's describing our future in Christ. Let me read it to you this morning. John's having a vision and this is what he saw. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. That is a picture right there of our future. It's incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So how do we see that picture and move towards that as Christian people and reconcile that with the brokenness and the evil that we see around us? When we look around the world, it just doesn't seem to fit under God's reign and rule. And So how do we reconcile Jesus' words that the kingdom is now and yet still be surrounded by such a mess? Well, I think... This is how we reconcile it. And I'm going to finish with this today, but I wish I didn't have to because this is what makes Christianity so exciting. Jesus said in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is not here or there or over there. The kingdom of God is within you. I think that God, at the point of salvation, places his dream in our hearts and through his word and through the work of Christ and through the work of the Spirit, we see a glimpse of our future. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a deposit, guaranteeing that future inheritance that we just read about in Revelation 21. And so as Christians, even though life gets difficult, that's our hope, that's our future, that's what we hold on to. But in the present, in the midst of the mess, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I read Revelation 21 a moment ago. You notice that there's no poverty in God's future kingdom. There's no suffering. There's no pain. There's no evil. There's no injustice. And so God has called us now in the present to live kingdom lives. And as we live lives of generosity and unconditional love, as we forgive one another and journey with one another, as we share uh, with compassion and empathy, as we're honest in our workplaces, as we care for the poor and the hurting, as we stand up for the oppressed and the abused, as we love our neighbours and serve our community, we become light in the midst of the darkness. And at the same time, we align ourselves with the dream of God for creation. And through our lives in the present, we see a little glimpse 
of our future reality as the light floods into the darkness. That's what makes Christianity so excited. We have been called to be people on mission. I'm really excited about this series in Acts. We laid a foundation today. But I'm more excited to see what Jesus does in and through us as a church as we truly become a people on mission. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it encourages us and inspires us and challenges us. Today, as we start to look at the book of Acts, Lord, we thank you that we are starting on an exciting journey. And today, as we've looked at it, we're reminded of the gospel of Luke and all the other gospels that give us a glorious vision of who Jesus is. But we're also reminded that from that vision, we need to be people who go and make a difference in the world around us. So as we continue in this series, Lord, I pray that we would be people who would go where the Spirit leads us in mission in our everyday lives for the glory of God and for the extension of his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.